It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Tuesday morning to you on a day when you certainly need to stay indoors because we have a storm and it is Storm Babette, which is the second storm of the season. We originally had Storm Agnes back in September, but this is Storm Babette. And in case you're wondering where did Babette come from, it's a Dutch name and it was named picked by the Dutch Weather Service. And it seems it's been named after a member of the public who said she was born during a storm. So she put her name forward and the Dutch Met Office decided to go with it because it's the UK, Irish and Dutch Met Offices who at the start of the winter season decide on the storm name. So Storm Babette is uh, upon us and that brings with it a status orange weather warning for us here in Cork and our neighbours in uh, Kerry. The warning came into effect at six this morning and it's remaining in place for 24 hours. Now, the potential impacts of that orange uh, weather warning uh, includes poor visibility, uh, localised flooding, difficult driving conditions and possible wave overtopping. And obviously that's going to be relevant at um, high tide. Last night, Cork County Council, they had their severe weather assessment team. They convened. Crews were on standby overnight. Several known risk locations. I imagine they're still on uh, standby and I know yesterday and yesterday evening uh, crews were out clearing inlets and gullies and drains and hopefully they've all been cleared in time because it's just the time of the year. The leaves are everywhere and a lot of the gullies and drains are completely blocked. Uh, The council said sandbags and pumping arrangements have been put in place particularly in the known problem locations and I know the flood barriers were raised in Mallow and uh, from Moyna. The rain is expected to move northwards but that's not going to happen until tonight. It's going to remain with us for much of the day. Then it'll be followed by scattered showers but unfortunately some of those scattered showers uh, could also be heavy. So tomorrow and Thursday further outbreaks of rain again uh, is they could be heavy as well so it would be staying indoors if at all possible for today John Paul's taking your calls 0818 103 103 anything you want to share with us you can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and can I just give a, a, a quick mention because there's lovely pictures in the papers uh, today of um, Irish rugby uh, fans putting on a very brave face when they flew home many thousands arrived into 
Dublin Airport but the focus was Dublin Airport yesterday because of course the national team also flew back to into Dublin Airport from uh, Paris and Johnny Sexton who is of course uh, the now retired captain uh, leading out his boys for the last time but it was wonderful to see they really did get a hero's welcome in Dublin's Terminal 2 uh, last night and uh, many many hundreds of fans turned out draped in green and seemingly there was a rousing rendition of Ireland's call in the arrivals lounge and there's uh, lots of photographs and seemingly all of the boys spent time getting photographs with fans and even those that their hearts were broken they're all of them are smiling and uh, glad to be back uh, home so as I say lovely lovely pictures in uh, the papers now we will be talking later on on the programme about the fact that that strike action that was due to happen today across the voluntary and social uh, organisations thankfully that has been called off it really did go down to the wire it was 3am in the morning by the time the talks uh, between the trade unions and the government representatives at the Work Relations uh, Commission uh, finally ended and they finally got an agreement on uh, pay so it really did go down to uh, the wire so we will be talking about it in more detail on the programme and you know, the stress levels that this particular threat of this strike caused. I watched, if you were watching Katie Hannan's uh, Upfront programme uh, last night, I mean, you know, they spoke to people who were going to be affected if the strike went ahead, but they also spoke with workers who you knew didn't want to go on strike but felt they'd no other choice. I mean, to hear that some of those workers have been 13 years without a pay increase and, you know, many of those workers, particularly in the community care uh, sector and the PAs that work and uh, who work with people on an individual basis to allow a person with disability or an older person to lead an independent life as possible and they do really, really personal care and they almost become friends with the person that they are looking after and to hear, you know, that many of them, they're not on huge sums of money. We're not talking about people who are on over 100k a year but to expect them to have to had the same wage packet that they've had for the last 13 years, bearing in mind the cost of living. I mean, it was truly shocking. So good to know that there at least was an agreement and the strike has been uh, called off. But you'd have to worry then because obviously money now has to be found by uh, the government because the offer on the table last night was an 8% increase in funding for pay. And if that money is to come out of the Department of Health, you're kind of thinking, well, where's the Department of Health going to get the, uh, the money? Because plans to reduce hospital waiting lists, they are now at risk of becoming a major casualty uh, to cuts that's expected to happen in health spending. Now, bear in mind, there's about 900,000 people languishing already on waiting hospital uh, lists and the extent of funding available to tackle those current waiting lists is now uncertain and actually the funding that they were hoping to get is now expected to be cut next year. As the health service faces into a spending squeeze, the Department of Health were simply unable to say yesterday how much will be allocated to reduce the misery of the patients who are already on the waiting lists, not to mind the people who will be added to those waiting uh, lists. And when they were asked directly yesterday 
will next year's funding, will it match the funding for this year, which is an allocation this year of 240 million? And a spokesperson for the Department of Health simply said, sorry, we're unable to provide assurances and they can't put a figure on how much they expect to have available or how much is going to be spent across 2024. All they would say was that full details of the 2024 waiting list action plan will be published next year. And that, of course, it comes uh, amid confusion over a recruitment freeze, which we know was announced by the HSE last week for staff grades, which now seemingly does include home helps. And over the weekend, the Junior Health Minister, Mary Butler, and she's obviously she's Minister for State with Responsibility for Older People. And in the main, it is older people who are relying on and need home helps. She said at the weekend that she was concerned to learn that home helps were included in the freeze and in, the, in this freeze of recruitment, sort of, you know, giving the impression that she didn't think that home helps were going to be uh, included. We have more than 6,000 people across the country who are desperate for home uh, care and that is down to a lack of carers and the biggest proportion of people waiting for home care packages who've been assessed it said you need the home care package, but they can't get the workers. They're actually here in Cork and in uh, Kerry. There will be a greater reliance on home care, obviously, as we head into the winter, particularly as the winter trolley crisis wor- worsens. But if it leads to delayed discharges, people who no longer need to be in hospital, they'll end up staying in that bed because they can't be moved out of the hospital because they can't. There's no carers available to do the home help and to give the home care package, so they end up as so-called delayed discharges. Now, the two critical areas of health service delivery, one is reducing waiting lists and the other is home care. Both of them now look set to be among the major victims of these spending uh, cuts. There has been criticism of the 22.5 billion budget for the health service for next year, because that's already down on what they've spent this year, which was 240 uh, million. And the HSC says it falls far short of what it needs and it's uh, straight away going to plunge it into another one billion overrun by the end of uh, next year. But then you've got the Tánishta, Micheál Martin coming out and he very much seems to be taking a tough line uh, with the complaints that he's hearing about the HSE and he's saying that funding for the health service in Ireland, he reckons it needs an examination. The Fianna Fáil leader said seven billion in additional funding has been allocated to the health service over the past few uh, years. And he says, we're going to have to work through the funding in health. But the scale of allocation in the last number of years, he says, has been very, very significant. He said, we're going to have to work with the HSE. But he says the HSE also are going to have to work with the government. He says there has to be a deep analysis of health spending, paralleled with analysis of the demographic and the ageing uh, population. And it's, it's funny that Mio Martin has come out with that because one of our listeners yesterday made almost the same point. And, you know, whenever we hear about the health budget, you know, we hear about more and more money being poured into it. At the end of every year, there's an overrun. They have to go cap in hand to the government. There's always extra money allocated at the end of the year and on it goes on its merry way. And then the next year it happens all over 
over again. I mean, that figure of seven billion extra that has been allocated over the past uh, few years. And yet we hear we have 900,000 people on waiting lists. I, you know, I think Micheál Martin, as I say, one of our listeners said the same thing, a deep dive as to how that money is actually been spent. I mean, someone made the point that the HSC, the way RTE are being grilled and examined over every, you know, red cent that, they're, that they've spent and then discovering that money was spent on, on flip-flops and expensive trips overseas and was money wasted. I mean, do we need to look at the health budget and work out exactly where the money is going because it does seem to feel like year on year that it's this big black hole and no matter how much money you pour it into it we're never going to get a proper health service. Some of your reaction to thankfully the news that the WRC uh, ended um, successfully last night between uh, members of the government and the trade unions um, and the strike action by the voluntary and community sector not going ahead today. Uh, listener says, geez, the government would fight you tooth and nail for a few extra quid yet the civil servants look for annual wage increases and guess what? It comes automatically. How unfair is that? Life is all about the money. The currency of a life which it really shouldn't be and Alan says uh, morning Trish 13 years without a pay increase how many times in those years did the politicians give themselves a pay rise if a politician's wage was capped at 55k how many of the so-called leaders would do the job answer none show me a politician and I will show you uh, okay, we won't get into that. Um, every one of them says Alan, he's, he's, he's not a fan of uh, politicians, but very much understanding uh, why the voluntary community sector were threatening this strike uh, action. And when I was talking about the funding to the HSE and, you know, worrying times uh, ahead and what do we do with the black hole of money that seems to go into the Department of Health. Listen to this, Patricia, I'm here at CUH in a queue for a hospital appointment. I've been queuing now for 35 minutes guess what? I'm queuing to get into the car park at CUH. Cork University Hospital is simply not fit for purpose. You can't even park your car to get into your hospital appointment, putting up all these prefabs and buildings and there is no car parking. That is a crazy uh, situation. Hopefully you've found, you've found a parking space and your hospital appointment goes well. Now there's two reasons why we want to talk about uh, Formoy uh, today. Uh, firstly, of course, Formoy was the hometown of the late Tina Satchwell and yesterday evening a vigil was held there. It was organised by the local community and Fianna Gael Councillor Noel McCarthy was there and he, he joins me this morning. Good morning to you Noel. Good morning Patricia. Um, and, and thank oh, you for, I'm very well, thank you for joining us. Um, firstly I have to point out there's a gorgeous photograph on the front of the Irish Examiner today taken by uh, Eddie O'Hara and under the caption just simply remembering uh, Tina and it, it's a sea of candles and local people lighting candles. Uh, was that at the bandstand in Formoy Park? Yes, Patricia, it wasn't a bandstand in the town park and the location was picked by the organisers because of the love of the park that Tina had because that's where she used to go on her daily walks with her beloved dogs, walk to the town park and really enjoyed it. So that's why we picked that location and it was very sentimental last night for in remembrance of Tina for the, for having it in the park. Did uh, many of her family uh, attend, Noel? 
They did. They did. There was a lot of family members there. And uh, as you can imagine, they were very upset. But I think, I suppose, really were, and, and got that across with the message that came across from Shirley Keegan, who spoke at the event, to say that she was speaking the family were on their family behalf, to say how, support, how they were delighted with the support of the have individual tonight and the people of my contact them all over the last few days. That meant a lot to them. A lot. Yeah, I Ralph Regal actually writing in the paper today about the vigil. He has the words uh, read out by uh, Shirley where she was reading on behalf of the family and she said, there are no words to describe the pain in our hearts right now. Uh, if we knew the last time we met Tina was going to be our last time, we would have hugged her extra tight. Tina will put a smile on anyone's face. She was a very bubbly personality and a very sociable person. She was always out and about with her baby Ruby and Heidi of course they're her beloved pet dogs she loved her fashion she was always dressed so well we will treasure the moments and all the great memories we spent with you fly high our angel you'll be in our hearts forever we love you Tina you're at peace now until we meet again that really is um, heartbreaking uh, stuff but a huge amount of support Noel by the local community Yes, the community for my really showed their support in remembrance of Tina, Patricia, and also with supporting the family and, and thinking about them, being there for them. And the community for my really came out and for my and surrounding areas, Patricia, because they came from everywhere last night. And even people that couldn't make it were sending in messages to say they lit candles at home and were thinking about uh, Tina, Tina and her family. And I think that meant a lot to, to the family. It really did. And like, as I say, it was so sad last night. But at the same time, I think for my community really wanted to do it and showed their love for Tina and their support for the family, as I say. It was really touching. And that's what it was. Because Very she, touching. she grew up in the town of Fomoy, didn't she? Yes, yeah, she grew up in St. Bernard's and she lived in, for, uh, and then she lived in Liam McGarrett Place for a while and all, I see the neighbours from both, both St. Bernard's and Liam McGarrett Place there last night and they were so upset and the whole town just wanted to show support and people remember for, I saw a school, te- I met a, 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 a woman there that taught Tina, I met other people there, had great different stories of Tina, but the one that really came across Patricia was, you in, in Shirley's words as well was, they always remember Tina walking her dog and our fashion and a lovely smile, friendly smile. And that's why I remember myself as well. That's yeah. what it was. And, yeah. you know, it's only uh, a week ago today that um, her body uh, was discovered. This in some way, Noel, will bring, I mean, Tina will never come back to the family, but it's just bringing some kind of closure, isn't it? They'll be finally able to lay her to rest and, and have a proper funeral. And I think that's very important. That's all. They knew that there was something wrong over the last few years. At least now they have some closure and, uh, and they can bury Tina. And, and that's what they wanted. They just wanted something to know what happened. And now they, at least they know that. And that's, I think that is, that's very important to the family. Okay. And, and, and the people from I always wondered over the years what happened to poor Tina. And that's, now there's a closure there. 
Okay, and we once again extend our deepest, deepest sympathies uh, to uh, the Dingivan family and all of uh, Tina's family. And may Tina, uh, God love her, may she rest in uh, peace. And we we know there's a court case pending, so we're not going to get into any of that at the moment. And Noel, from that very sad event to then a TV appearance of a former Formoy resident, a lady who we only know as Zoe, who was on the Graham Norton show last Saturday night. Now, here's a little uh, clip, if I can find it uh, here. I have it here. One sec. Now, I'm just, uh, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Um, Tom Paul, have you got the number? Where are you from, Zoe? I'm from um, Scotland, Dumfries and Galloway, but I lived in Ireland for about 20 years. Whereabouts in Ireland did you live? Uh, Fermoy, County Cork. Fermoy, home of the pencil. Horrible town. Oh. Now, it was that comment, horrible Town, horrible town. Firstly, did you see the programme when it went out on Saturday night, Noel? No, Patricia, I didn't see the programme, but that night I got started getting messages and a clip was sent to me, and I was horrified when I saw it. I said, this couldn't happen. And then the, it gathered momentum on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and all day yesterday. It's like people are so upset that Zoe, the girl that lived in Fomoy with us for 20 years, could say that about a town, that about our town, that we're so proud of, and to be described as a horrible, horrible town, really, really hurt a lot, a lot of people, both living in Fomoy, that know Fomoy well, and people that have moved from Fomoy and living all, all over the world and, and, and all over the country here in Ireland. They're absolutely outraged by her comments and, and really upset, Patricia, as you can imagine. Huge outpouring on social media, isn't there, of people, and I think it's great to see, people coming out and defending the town. Exactly. And that's what people were saying to me when they were contacting me. No, how do we defend this? And and like to get this portrait of our town, it's not a horrible town. And we we take great pride in it in so many different ways. And people have great memories of our towns. And especially those people that have lived here, grew up here and moved away now and are saying, how could anyone describe our lovely town like this as a horrible, horrible town. And we just want to put the record straight, Patricia. That's what we really want to do. Uh, and, you know, for my people want to say, listen, this is, we're not a horrible town. We great, great pride in our town. And the amount of listeners that listen to Graham Norton show every week must be in the millions, Patricia. Mm. And they might think that this is, the, uh, 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 saying that about for my in County Cork, in Ireland, and, and as we know, it's totally inaccurate. And we just want to put the record straight. Yeah, and, we, uh, we, we already have people uh, contacting us. Mags said, I heard that awful comment from uh, Zoe. It wasn't nice at all. From all, lovely, friendly people, very welcoming, very uh, helpful. Uh, it's not nice to be bashing a place that she once called home, says Mags. And Mike says, from all County Cork, it is a lovely town. I actually had my Debs there, said Mike. I'm very, very <laughs> fond uh, fond memories. Uh, is there any plans uh, to write to the Graham Norton show? And, and I, I don't know if you could get a retraction, but is there any plans to write write to the uh, production company? 
Yes, Patricia, we're hoping to, um, as, as my role as chairman of the Tidy Towns, and we're having a committee meeting during the week, and we're going to hope, to, we're going to write to the to the Graham Norton show to know, could he re- say something that to say that we were horrified to hear these remarks passed by a lady on the red chair, that we're totally upset over it, and could he put the record straight that for my is in a horrible tongue? And we're also going to ask him, because some of the ideas coming through on social media are very good, we're also going to ask him, would he visit our town, Graham Norton? <laughs> Miss here next. When he comes to be his lover at West Cork, will he come down to for my and it's a town and we'll show him it, what it, we have. It's a town he knows because he mentioned the big pencil. Is the big pencil still there? There is, there's still a recognition this, of Faber Castell, not the big pencil as it was. Yeah. But Faber Castell is still here in our town. We're very proud of that business in our town. And we've so much to offer, as you know yourself, yeah, Patricia. Yeah. It's a it was a great place to live for me. It's a great place to live, to raise a family, have business in the town, great businesses in the town. And we have great schools, great sporting facilities. We have so much to offer. And in our tidy towns, we're so proud of our town that when people come to visit, that the appearance of the town means so much to us in the committee. We've won awards in 2018 as the cleanest town of Ireland. We only got award in the last Super Value, uh, value Tidy Towns Awards lately, Patricia, in the Chungum Award well that done. we won the best category and the national award. So FAMI has so much to offer and I'm so proud of myself and I know the people in FAMI are so proud of our town. And so I think, and, and you know something, Noel, I think the essence of the town shone last night with that more than 500 people who turned up to remember Tina, to remember one of, one of their own. I mean, that's not the work of people living in a horrible town, is it? No, and for my showed its true colours last night, and wanted to do, and didn't uh, didn't have to be asked twice. They did it because one of their own was in, but they wanted to pay respect to one of their own and to support the family. That's what Fomoy is all about, because the Fomoy people are the salt of the earth and I always have a friend. And that's come across in the social media comments that people in Fomoy are so nice and we have a great welcome for everybody, Patricia. Okay, so, ra- rather so than that's a, what it is. Rather than a horrible little town, Fomoy is a great little town to uh, live in. We'll end on that positive note. Uh, local Fine Gael Councillor Noel McCarthy, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia, and thank you for having me on. Thank Good morning. You. Cork Airport experienced a busy September as thousands of passengers from the south decided to flock to sunnier climes. And why wouldn't they with the summer we just had? So to chat about the winter months ahead, I'm joined by Barry Holland. And Barry is the communications manager at Cork Airport. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Are you now back to pre-pandemic numbers or close to pre-pandemic numbers? By the end of the year, we'll be probably in the region of 400,000 to 500,000 passengers ahead of last year. But yes, we will be ahead of 2019, the effect of last, the last year of, I suppose, pre-pandemic. Uh, 2.6 million passengers in 2019. We are estimating 2.7 million passengers in 2023. Brilliant. And it, it, it picked up quicker, didn't it, than what was originally expected? It did. And back in the throes of the pandemic and when I suppose the aviation sector was effectively on the floor, industry experts, industry lobby groups acting on behalf of the aviation sector would have said that it won't recover. I suppose the sector won't recover to what it once was until 2024, 2025 at the earliest. And that was very different here in Ireland, where we've seen it recover extremely fast. There are some airports in Europe on the continent 
that are still lagging behind the 2019 figures still. Um, but safe to say here in Ireland that the recovery has been extremely strong, much faster than anticipated. And there's still a great appetite for international air travel over there at the moment. Yeah, and I suppose that's down to the fact that our economy bounced back faster than a lot of other economies did. And not to mention the fact we're on an island as well, yeah. which is an important factor yeah. and, to remember and, as well. And the weather isn't great, let's, let's be honest. And you also had uh, a few very busy weeks with the rugby fans. Um, and, and I know we had some reports, particularly last Friday from the airport. It sounded like the buzz and the excitement. It must have been just terrific to go to work on days like that. We did. We had we had a very couple of busy weeks there, particularly in the last couple of games that Ireland were playing. But right from the get go, Patricia, um, you know, the first game that Ireland took on, or when Ireland played Romania, was in Bordeaux. We flights to Bordeaux and um, uh, during the, during the summer as well. So they're still they were still operation at the time, still are at the moment until the end of October. But we were we we, we saw people right from the get go coming through. But last Friday um, for the um, the New Zealand game and even the Friday beforehand for the Scotland game as well. Um, we saw a terrific amount of fans flying through uh, Cork en route to Paris. Some travelling directly, some travelling directly to Paris with either Aer Lingus, Air France or some of the charter operations. But a lot more as well travelling indirectly um, through the likes of London, Manchester, going to Amsterdam. Some people going to London, taking the Eurostar across. You know, people flying to Amsterdam and flying on or then taking the train on then down the fast train down from Amsterdam to Paris. The terminal was awash with <laughs> green jerseys, green hats, scarves, you name it. The atmosphere was electric. And I know you were able to capture some of that last week. Some of your colleagues from, from the um, 96 and C-103 were there, obviously, as well, which was great to see them there. And uh, it was it was absolutely electric. And, the you know, the atmosphere is something incredible. It's just a pity. We won't talk about the results. Now, there's a number of new routes. I mean, Ryanair in particular, I think they have they introduced something like five uh, new routes all out of Cork. They have. Ryanair have introduced five new winter routes uh, This um, starting in the end of this month, the end of October, when our winter schedule comes into effect. So the new routes are Barcelona, Barcelona El Prat, which is the central Barcelona airport. It's great to have that connection back, and that's operating twice weekly for the winter. Paris Bove, Ryanair flying there three times a week for the winter. Seville, Ryanair operated it during the summer. <clears throat> it was a new summer route, but it's also now, by definition, a new winter route as well. And they're keeping that on for the for the winter. That'll be operating twice weekly as well. Venice Treviso uh, operating for the winter. Again, a new summer route that they introduced this year, but they're keeping it on for the winter. Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands. And then um, Aer Lingus are introducing a new uh, route to Leon. And uh, to, uh, two new routes, actually, uh, Leon and Tenerife. So it's um, there's in all in all, there's there's seven new routes out of Cork. It's brilliant. This winter. And it's, yeah, and I, I saw the full list and it's terrific to see the routes that are operating, operating year round. It is. And that's a testament, Patricia, I think, to the um, to the I suppose the, the interest that this was the traffic that's been carried on those routes. For example, you take some routes there, you know, like Valencia last year in Spain, the third largest city in Spain, which was added on as a summer route. It was initially for summer 2022. The Traffic was so good on it during the summer that they decided, Ryanair decided to keep it on for the winter. Uh, it continued right through winter 23. It upped frequency on this summer and they're keeping on for winter. Um, they're keeping on again this winter coming. So when they see traffic like that and when there's good support on the route, 
you know, airlines have absolutely no hesitation in um, in keeping the going. And like the likes of that route has been particularly strong performing. So, again, same with Seville. Seville performed extraordinarily well during the summer. And Ryanair took the decision to operate for the winter as well, which is great because yeah. it adds that extra variety. It adds even more choice for people to go away. Like you take those six or seven new routes there that were add, that are being added on for the winter. There's a lovely mix of city breaks there. There's a mix of winter sun and there's a, and there's a ski route in there as well. So we're catering for all sorts of breaks and holidays that people will be taking over the course of the winter. And Barry, is, is, is skiing popular out of Cork? It is. And uh, in particular in the months from probably after Christmas right through to March, you see the ski routes come into operation and they fly out, they fly out weekly um, and they uh, go to places like, um, like Germany. We have um, Munich, we have um, Salzburg in Austria and um, Lyon as well in, in France. So the ski, the ski traffic certainly picks up in January, February and uh, has become increasingly more popular, even anecdotally in hearing from local travel agencies, etc. The ski holidays are becoming more part are, are becoming uh, very popular as well. One person even told me that they loved it so much that they said if they went on a ski holiday, they'd never go on a sun holiday again wow. because they enjoyed it so much. Wow, yeah, yeah which is amazing. It's it's like the yeah. comment you often hear about people um, when they uh, they fly off and they go on a cruise, and people say once you've done a cruise once, you'll want to do it again and again. That's and ski, right. ski holidays right. uh, seem to be, and of course, sun holidays are not for everybody, but so ski holidays uh, definitely becoming much much more popular from a country where you know we don't ski uh, for obvious uh, reasons, um, and then of course it yes. works it works both ways. Uh, flying into uh, Cork, I mean, the, the next big weekend I take for you guys will be the Jazz Festival. Oh, absolutely. The Jazz the jazz Weekend is, is a huge weekend for us uh, here at Cork Airport. Um, Cork Airport is the gateway, the international gateway to the jazz. And we'll see thousands of people flying in from both the UK and the continent flying in for the jazz. In particular, you know, agencies like Tourism Ireland would do significant promotion on the continent and in the UK uh, promoting air access into Cork, promoting the beautiful part of the world that we live in down here, and then access to the wider south of Ireland, the likes of the Wild Atlantic Way, Ireland's Ancient East, and the kind of the festivals like the jazz that are along the way as well. So I know for a fact that, you know, you would have seen there, for example, um, the likes of Tourism Ireland doing um, marketing with the likes of Ronan O'Gara in France. Mm. And um, they'll be also promoting the likes of the jazz now and right into the, what, what tends to be a quieter part of the year, Patricia, I suppose, you know, in winter. But it's good to see that, obviously, with the year-round traffic that, you know, the likes of Tourism Ireland are promoting that abroad. And uh, But, yes, the jazz will be the biggest one now that we'll be looking forward to here. We'll have lots of terminal activity here as well, or we'll activity within the terminal. We'll have some music, um, you know, with the arriving passengers as well. They'll be entertained. And um, it'll be it, it, it's almost you'll get a flavour of the jazz the minute you touch down Brilliant. in Cork Airport. Brilliant. That's and, what we want to put on. And of course, we, we all love flying in, in and out of Cork Airport. I mean, the one thing for me about Cork Airport, I mean, the security screening, is it still as efficient as ever? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In September, for example, 99.9% of passengers cleared security in 15 minutes or less. Oh. It's one of the biggest focuses that we put on anything here in the airport is ensuring that we get passengers through security efficiently and quickly. And there's a great team in the security unit here in Cork Airport. And we often hear it myself and see our feedback through social media or emails of people and the personable, um, I suppose, the personable approach that our staff give 
passengers when they go through security because some for some people flying mightn't be a regular occurrence and they like to be put at ease and our staff are there to do that they're as well and to help them along the way on their journey. They're the friendliest bunch I think I've ever met at security. I've never yet come across uh, as friendly a group as you'll meet at uh, Cork Airport. They really are uh, a credit uh, to you. Now, some questions in for Barry. Uh, Dennis in Ahirla. Uh, will the Cork to Dublin flight ever return or is the motorway too big a factor? Can, can Barry ever see it coming back? The Cork to Dublin route was in existence right from 1961 up till 2011. Of course, you have to factor in, in the earlier years, that the road network, it would have taken four, five, six hours perhaps to drive to Dublin. The train service wasn't as frequent. So when it comes to the Cork to Dublin route, there is, you're competing not necessarily with any other airlines. You're competing with two other modes of transport. Uh, You're competing with a very good motorway network and you're competing now with hourly trains mm. um so i suppose there's there's that to factor in at the moment there isn't any plans at the moment to to reintroduce it um there has been some commentary of late you know with the possibility of re- reintroducing it but in the short to near term there isn't any plans to reintroduce the cork okay. and a question we would all love you to answer in the affirmative please <laughs> this is from amanda in clonakilty will we ever see flights to new york out of Cork Airport. Transatlantic remains as strong as a priority as it ever did here, Patricia. Um, Be rest assured, even just this week, my colleagues in um, aviation business development here in the uh, airport are out at an international conference with airports and airlines in Turkey. And uh, of that, obviously, they'll be meeting airlines, various airlines along the way. And they are going to be, obviously, transatlantic services are high on the priority list to restore them here at Cork to get that to get that connectivity with the east coast of the USA back. So be rest assured, it is being worked on. These things do take time. Um, you know, there's a lot to be, there's, there's, a lot, there's a big head of steam to be built up before anything can be put into effect here. So the work is going on in the background, but um, be rest assured, we're, we're giving it our fullest attention um, okay. to restore those. And services. someone else wants to know, is the restaurant now fully open at the airport? Yes, they are. Absolutely. All our catering outlets are open fully now. And thankfully, um, the recovery, the the swift recovery last year uh, did pose some challenges initially. But thankfully, now all our restaurants, uh, bars, cafes, etc. are open uh, right from uh, 4 a.m., 4.30 in the morning and right open. So most of them open till um, the last flight. Well done. Well done. Okay, listen, Barry, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Barry Holland. And Barry is the communications manager at uh, Cork Airport, which which, which looks like another very busy winter ahead for Cork Airport. But as I say, it's just fantastic to see that a lot of the flights now that have come back to Cork Airport, some of them were just initially for the summer months but now many of them are going year round so it's just great to have the, the, the connectivity because I think if you have a choice between you know there's a flight going out of Cork Airport and you know there's a flight going out of Dublin Airport all of us certainly opt for a Cork Airport it's just a pleasure to go in and out of that airport Some of your thoughts and comments coming in we were talking about the airport and fantastic to see that uh, we well, by the end of this year we're going to be uh, well up on uh, 
passengers flying in and out of Cork Airport and back to where we were before the pandemic, which is certainly good news. And uh, we all like any anything that keeps that is good news for Cork Airport that will keep the keep Cork Airport going and get us as many many routes as we can out of the south. And of course, some one of our listeners was asking about transatlantic flights. Wouldn't it be great to drive to Cork Airport and get a transatlantic flights uh, flight to the states? Now, Barry did say they are working on it behind the scenes. Talks are going on. Well, Councillor Joe Carroll was listening to Barry talking about it, and he said he was they were on a trade mission recently to Boston. This was members of Cork County Council, and when they were over in Boston, they met with the Boston Chamber of Commerce, and they actually discussed the possibility of transatlantic uh, flights. And the Boston Chamber of Commerce were very much in favour of flights between Boston and Cork. They actually put together a plan of action for investment and to get airlines in board and renew the previous services that once operated by the Norwegian uh, Air. So it is being worked on, certainly from the Boston uh, end. And Joe points out currently there are many students from Skibberina and indeed other parts of Cork and other parts of the South who are actually over in Boston. They're on exchange programmes. So he says the transatlantic flight out, out of our own airport would be fantastic. So thank you for that update, Joe. So there does look like there's a lot of discussions going on behind the scenes. 0818 uh, We were talking about the possibility, what could have happened, and we will talk about it in, in more detail with the voluntary community sectors and their threat and strike action. Thankfully, didn't go ahead today. But Jason contacted us to say the, just to explain the situation he has with his mum. Now, Jason doesn't live at home with his uh, mother and his mother is wheelchair bound. And I'm assuming from the thrust of this call, she's living uh, on her own. So she's living as independently as she can on her own. So they have home care support coming in morning, afternoon and night. Now, at the moment, it's a half an hour each time. Now, according to Jason, they work for the HSE. The HSC has now informed Jason's mother that they're cutting the half an hour, the 30 minutes in the morning, lunchtime and at night time. They're cutting it now to 15 minutes. So a home care worker will come in 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at lunchtime and 15 minutes uh, obviously at night to get Jason's mum back to bed. God, you'd be able to be able to say hello, wouldn't you? And your time would be up. But Jason says the problem uh, is many of them who call to his mother don't live in the area. And he says the HSE do not pay expenses such as travel and petrol. So they have to travel to where his mother lives and for them it simply is not going to be worth it. Uh, he says, uh, my mam needs her dignity and she also loves these women that call. They've obviously built up a great uh, rapport. He says, with all the surplus money in this country, why can't they invest in proper home care uh, packages while we have home care workers running back and uh, forth. Now uh, just a couple of questions there. If they're working for the HSE and I'm nearly sure on this HSE home care workers do get paid travel expenses and I'm sure that somebody listening will be able to confirm that or not. Those that work for the private sector where the money comes from the HSE but they're not directly employed by the HSE. There's always an ongoing back, backlog with that but I thought that got sorted out uh, as well but I, I, I think what will probably happen is some of those workers will feel it's not worth their while if they're travelling from outside the area to go to your mother, it's not worth going to get paid for 15 minutes. It's just, I cannot understand or fathom how anyone makes a decision in an office uh, 
looking at somebody who's getting an hour and a half a day at the moment isn't a loss for, for a woman who is wheelchair bound and say we're going to cut that hour and a half and cut it back to 45 minutes and we'll do it in three 15 minute blocks. It just defines logic to me how somebody's meant to set a clock, get in the door, your 15 minutes starts now and you get through all of the jobs and sorry, 15 minutes are up, I'm, I'm out the door dot com. Doesn't make any sense uh, to me. I, I, I'm taken aback that it's been reduced to 15 minutes. I actually thought 30 minutes and even at 30 minutes I thought that's a very short period of time to ask people to go in, sort somebody out, do whatever they need to do and get back out and get on to their next uh, client. But to hear it reduced to 15 minutes. Is this part of the cost cutting on behalf of the HSC? Shocking. 0818103103 Actually I'll put that a question. I'll try and get John Paul to remind me. I'll put that to Michael Moynihan with the who's going to be joining us from the Oireachtas Committee on Disability Matters. Be interested in his thoughts uh, on that. Somebody else says, Patricia, I'd like to congratulate Micheál Martin here you mentioning uh, that he thinks that the HSE needs to be it needs to be looked at with the amount of money they've received over the last few years. He needs he, he reckons there needs to be a deep analysis of the way the money is uh, spent. This texture feels that that is long overdue. Uh, an investigation, they need to look at the waste and the squandering that goes on. It's shocking. I've seen it at first hand, said this person. So I have to say nobody blinks an eye at it and nobody takes any responsibility for it. So an investigation into the health board, which is now the HSE, I feel is long, long overdue. 0818103103. Patricia, you mentioned the Irish rugby fans and the team coming back yesterday. Just on a note, though, on the Irish rugby fans and let's see what other listeners feel. I thought they let themselves down and their country down when the New Zealand team were doing the haka. Our fans showed no respect for the haka. The haka to the New Zealanders is like their national anthem and they tried to drown out the haka by singing the fields of Athen uh, Rai. Um, so no surprise that, but no surprise I guess when we don't even play our own national anthem when the Irish team travel overseas. Did others feel that that was disrespectful of the haka? The team stood, loved the way they did the eight for Axel Foley. Thought that was lovely and I know the New Zealand would have respected that uh, as well but they stood silently and they watched the haka but the Irish fans did their best to drown it out by singing the fields of Athen Rye. Did others feel that was disrespectful of the fans? Your thoughts welcomed 0818 103 103 and then some commentary on the town of Fomoy kicked off by Zoe um, Graham Norton last Saturday. Where are you from, Zoe? I'm from um, Scotland, Dumfries and Galloway, but I lived in Ireland for about 20 years. Whereabouts in Ireland did you live? Uh, Fermoy, County Cork. Fermoy, home horrible, of the pencil. Horrible town. Oh. People still not happy with that. Pat in Fomoy says, I do not know why people are taking notice of this woman. I think people in Fomoy are getting excited about nothing. We have a lovely tidy towns. The tidy towns and the council workers do a fantastic job to keep Fomoy looking well. The only negative thing that I can think of, says Pat, who lives in Fomoy, are the dirty public toilets in the town. But apart from that, everything is good. Somebody else wants to point out that Christy Moore wrote a song about a Cork town, Balancholic. The first line says, Johnny, don't go to Balancholic because you'll get so depressed. Where was the uproar then? He actually made money out of that song but I wonder how the people of Balancholic uh, felt about it. Mags says, if Zoe 
lived there for 20 years. She couldn't have found it that horrible. Why would you stay in a horrible town for 20 years? Thomas said, I also found the comment uh, on the Graham Norton. I also found the comment that Graham Norton made about Formoy calling it the pencil town. And then he had a great laugh at it. Shame on him. He calls himself an, an Irishman. I think that's a bit unfair. I think that's a bit unfair. He didn't call it the pencil town. He says it's the town. It's recognisable by the big pencil. That's what he was saying. I think he got taken aback by the way she called it such a horrible t- town. And there was another comment that we didn't air for obvious reasons that we didn't want to put out. I think he just wanted her to move off the subject as quickly as possible. Anthony in Limerick says, I love Formoy and it is full of really amazing people. Uh, I always visit Formoy. I did fundraising there a number of years ago. I got endless cups of tea from people. They are the best. And as they say, it's Michael Flatley country. I wonder what Michael Flatley would have to say about it as well because he's lived in uh, Formoy town and has a beautiful estate just outside of uh, Formoy. And then another listener says, Hi Patricia, I visited Formoy and it is what I would describe as a fine town. It is a beautiful river, lovely park, well-designed buildings that stand proudly over the busy streets. The unfair comment made by that woman Zoe reflects badly on her and not the warm-hearted people of the great town of Formoy. At the end of the day, what kept her in Formoy for 20 years, if it was really that bad? In the show's clip, Graeme sounds, sounds astonished and, unusually for him, lost for words in his short response. So clearly, he didn't agree with her. Nor does anybody else. To the people of Formoy, I would say, hold your heads high and rise above this one silly comment. Uh, meanwhile, with the, that negative attitude to Zoe, I would say, she would need to engage in some deep self-reflection. 0818 103 103. Some of your thoughts and uh, comments uh, coming into us. Hi, Patricia. Yes, you were right about fuel expenses. The HSC home care providers, the old home helps that people still refer to them uh, as the HSE pay a known rate. The private health care providers pay much less and in some cases, once sourced private, privately, there's no fuel allowance paid at all. So yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference between the HSE working directly for the HSE and those who are technically paid for by the HSE. The HSE fund it, but they work for a private company are, um, in the case of the voluntary and community sectors, they're working for their organisation. So there's, there is definitely completely different rules apply. And that's why we had this threatened indefinite strike that could have gone ahead today because the people who work for those organisations or who work for those private healthcare providers, they want pay parity with the HSE staff who do the identical work to them. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Insulux, they are looking for plasterers, internal and external insulation fitters, window and door fitters, and they're also looking for general site operatives. You can email jobs at insulux, I-N-S-U-L-E-X dot I-E, or call them 021-4708-588. Crowbar Construction are recruiting excavator drivers, banksmen and general operatives is for full-time positions in trenching works throughout the West Cork uh, area. Email info at cro slash bar dot ie or call 021 602 4200. An experienced stone person 
stonemason is required to work in Riverstick and the West Cork areas 087 6615 and a cafe supervisor is wanted to work in Mallow. Now, applicants must have at least two years' experience in a similar role, hospitality, or indeed in retail. CVs, please, to ianlucy2000 at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Yesterday I spoke with Niall Shanahan of the Forza Trade Union. Now it was ahead of what was to be an indefinite strike action from today by some 5,000 carers, personal assistants and health professionals who mainly work with uh, Section 39 Community and Voluntary organisations. Deputy Michael Moynihan is Chair of the Oireachtas Disability Matters uh, Committee and uh, Michael joins me on this issue this morning. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning. Now we know the strike is off because I initially, if the strike was going ahead, my initial comment to you was going to be that this doesn't feel like disability matters to the government but we'll park that for a moment. But my question to you, how was this allowed to go until a resolution was reached at 3am this morning? Well, in numerous conversations I've had over the last while, and I suppose particularly on the Disability Matters Committee, we have always raised the issue right through with the last three years, pay parity, pay for Section 39 organisations. It is a, and was a blatant disregard of the people who work in those organisations and put on as you know, put the organisations in a very difficult position for recruiting and retention of staff. Uh, the talks broke down earlier in the year, and then when the strike notice was served, like even yesterday at our private meeting of the Disability Matters Committee, members were, you know, incensed at how we could be discussing that on the 16th of October, uh, hours before the strike. The talks started yesterday evening at 2 o'clock and went on and just after three o'clock this morning. And it is, you know, incomprehensible that this should have been left dragged for so long. I have flagged this issue. The committee that I chair has flagged it at every one of our pre-budget submissions. This is a major issue for Section 39 organisations and has been for quite some time. Uh, what has transpired overnight is that there is an 8% and then to tie into the national agreements or tie into tie back into where we the Section 39 organisations were prior to 2008. And we have, I, I, I worked uh, with an awful lot of other people over the last 24 hours to try and get a resolution over the weekend. And since the budget was announced last week, I had been in contact with ministers, with government and with uh, officials in departments and indeed from unions to try and see can we get a resolve of this because okay but if, if you say but if you say you, you and your your committee um have, and you're very passionate on your committee about disability and disability matters if for the last 3 years you've been raising the issue of pay parity why was nobody listening to you well even yesterday even yesterday, and you know, over the weekend, in various conversations I had uh, with people, I really felt frustrated that nobody was listening to the seriousness of the issue. And yesterday, at 
you know, in conversations I had with, uh, and in messages I had with people. And I sent on some of the correspondence that I had from family members and indeed from service users themselves, outlining their frustration with it. And, you know, I, I, as I taught yesterday at 2 or 3 o'clock that we were heading for an indefinite strike, and I really felt myself like that question, why haven't we grasped this issue? Why had it to take until the 11th hour or the, almost the last minute of it for people to actually realize that this is about human beings? And in the conversation that was held at our committee a week or so ago, when the, uh, prior to the budget, when the minister spoke in terms of uh, looking for extra funding and so forth, she said we are dealing with people, not numbers. And it really, you know, and, and as the evening went on, uh, I got fairly annoyed that there wasn't, that you, the question you put to me, why aren't people listening to people with disabilities? This service, and when you spoke to me last um, about our pre-budget submission, we spoke about the 17th of October, and in my belief, it wouldn't come to that, and that would be averted weeks before it. But the damage that was done in relation to COVID and the way people have forgotten, people with disabilities have forgotten during that period. And I was, look, that was going around in my head yesterday saying, what more can I do? And I contacted every single one that was possible right through the evening, right through the night, to try and get a resolution of this, because I said that if, if there was a strike, you know, first of all, those that the Section 39 workers who have done massive work, you know, there would be an anger that would be there that wouldn't be able to be to repair the damage of actually allowing people to go on strike. And then for the service users and their families. The stress levels that this threatened strike has caused, uh, Michael, is just on another level. On another level. Uh, on another level. Like, you know, I got text messages yesterday from parents, uh, you know, uh, who would have uh, engaged with, you know, getting speech and language therapy. We know the scarcity of speech and language therapy through the public sector. And they were, they, those, they were those cancelled for today. You know, speech and language that was built up, you know, maybe it, it, over the last couple of months for these days to, to have that uh, therapies or day activities or whatever. But the stress level, and like they again felt that they were forgotten about and that they weren't. And that's why, you know, yesterday, right through the day and the evening and right into the night, I was, you know, every single year I could get to try and bring a resolution to this because I felt it, it, it was sent out a very wrong signal that disability, you know, if it went on strike, it would be disability. It doesn't matter. And I passionately believe that disability and people with disabilities... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
tap the banner to go to monday.com. Matter in this country, and we have, and like, uh, you know, sometime yesterday afternoon, I was saying to myself, is this attitude not changing? Is it still all about numbers? Or is it about providing a proper service and remunerating the people that are working in the voluntary sector? And these Section 39 organizations were built up over many, many decades ago because communities came together to provide a service for people with disabilities where the state failed to do so. And there was a line put out over the weekend, uh, you know, the government was saying that these organizations are private organizations. Yes, but they are providing the work for the state on behalf of the state for the citizens of the state. And the and state pay for it. It comes out state, It comes out of the Exchequer funding. But are you worried going forward when we're hearing that the Department of Health are, already can't give assurances that they'll have enough money for next year? Yeah, I, and I think that we have to have a very serious... Like, you know, I heard the comments uh, by the Chief Executive of the HSE over the weekend. They're very concerning because we have... You know, every year we have challenges within the public health system. We have challenges for uh, care of the elderly. There's winter plans announced. Winter plans are, are worked. The papers are written on unless there is backup, unless there is people available there, unless there is resources there. You know, there was a talk in relation to looking at how the money is spent. Like, the reality is that our public health service is pushed to the limit. You had comments there this morning about the queues in, this, in CUH and the centralisation of uh, of medical care in, 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 in the city. Thankfully, Matter Hospital, you know, there's an expansion there. And these hospitals, these satellite hospitals, are hugely important to take the overload from the city and provide the the, I suppose, the health care within uh, regional settings rather than centralising it in one uh, centre like the CUH or indeed the South Infirmary. But I, I would be concerned in relation to what I'm hearing from the HSC Chief Executive, and I know that there is a, you know, ongoing discussion and a battle between the various departments, but you know, I think we need to listen to what the HSC are saying, the Chief Executive is saying, because he gives me the impression that he is about going to, do, you know, he is serious about his business and he wants to improve the, the HSC, but we need to make sure that whatever resources are being put there are delivering for the people. Yeah, because your own uh, leader there, and, and Thonish, uh, Micheál Martin, you know, I think made a, ver- a very fair point when he said, you know, uh, seven billion in additional funding has been allocated to the health service uh, over the past uh, few years. And he, you know, he's making the point that there has to be a deeper analysis of health spending. Where is all this money going? And like, if we had a clear understanding of where all the money, where is the allocation? Like, if you stand back and you look at the amount of money that's being spent by the state, and then you look at the delivery of the health service, and you look at the challenges that are there in the A and E departments, right through the GP practices, the you know the, the uh, I suppose the overload of GP practices and primary care, right across the spectrum, there is challenges there. There's a huge amount of money being put in there. And if it is that there has been analysis of it done to make sure that the money is spent to deliver a better service, uh, if seven billion is a huge amount of money of extra resources being put into the, the department and to the HSE and to uh, healthcare, but we want to make sure that it is being spent and it is 
delivering for people. We okay. get very frustrated. And, you know, I, you know, when the families are coming to us, the elderly people can't get uh, care, that they're in a trolley, whatever the difficulties are. And, like, you didn't look at the overall budget and you say, where is all this going to? Why isn't it being properly spent and delivering a proper care service. Okay, just on on, on one uh, other point, because I know at the weekend, uh, the Junior Health Minister, Mary Butler, uh, said, you know, she was quite taken aback uh, to hear that home helps are going to be included in the recruitment uh, freeze. We had a call in this morning, and I, I don't know where in Cork Jason's mother is living, uh, but she's wheelchair bound, living on her own, and she has home help coming in, or home care workers coming in morning, lunchtime and in the evening, obviously to get her up in the morning, to feed her at lunchtime and then get her back into bed. Uh, a half an hour It's she gets in the morning, half an hour at lunchtime and a half an hour in the evening. They've had a call from the HSE that it's been reduced to 15 minutes three times a day. That Can that be false? It, it, it surely can. Right? I, I, with, with, over the years, going back five, six, seven years ago, we had a major issue in that the HSE were allocating hours uh, they were not able to allocate hours because they didn't have the budget to. In the last two years, the biggest issue we had was that there was allocation of hours, but there wasn't staff to take up the the uh, home care, to provide the home care. And like I, I listened to the commentary by Mary Butler and others over the weekend. Like, I, but And your point in relation to somebody coming in for 15 minutes, like there isn't enough time in 15 minutes to do any single task for somebody who would, as I understand it, need a fairly significant level of care at that particular time of the day or the evening or the morning, whichever it is. And I think, you know, cutting back home help hours this year, the line that we were certainly given was that there was sufficient money for home help hours this year, but there wasn't availability of people to take on the role. And like it's contradictory in this. And in some cases, I see, you know, there isn't uniformity. There isn't, I suppose, uh, in, in terms of delivering the home care services. And it's such a vital service. Well, since that was developed over 20, 25 years ago, the amount of people that have been able to live in their own communities for longer because of the care they were receiving. And I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, and I, and I do know, having spoken to other people in the past, people are afraid to complain in case they completely lose the service. And that's, that's completely wrong. It, it, they almost feel intimidated. You should be lucky in what, what you're getting. But people need, I think really people do need uh, to stand up and, and shout louder. All right, listen, Michael, I appreciate you taking our call uh, today. And as I say, thankfully, uh, the strike has been averted. But thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy um, uh, Michael Moynihan, who is Chair of the Disability Matters uh, Committee. And I know uh, personally that Michael and the others on that committee, they really, really are passionate about disability and they are trying to do the best they can. But for some reason, nobody seems to be listening. Somebody says, Patricia, two o'clock yesterday, the talks to avert today's strike 
uh, started. I think that says it all. At least it was sorted and I will have my brilliant PA tomorrow. So there was somebody obviously living in, in, in dread that the strike was going to go ahead. Uh, Mary, this is on cutting somebody's home help from 30 minutes to 15 minutes. How much are the biro pushing people paid in the HSE who make the decision that somebody's home help is going to be reduced by 50%? 15 minutes to look after a disabled person is shameful and that's been done by a person behind a desk. Check all of those out. Like what they're doing within RTE, we need to look after our special people and the elderly. And that is from uh, Mary in Rathcool. And one final one from Fimbar to says, on the cutting the home visits to 15 minutes, quite simply, the most vulnerable are once again attacked by the state. Have been through this before and it causes absolute heartache for those that need our help the most. Can only lay the blame at government. They're choosing to do this. This is not new. They kick people when they are down and choose then to keep kicking them. HSE bosses involved should not only resign, they should be let go and that should be immediately and that's from Finbar. Keep your calls and comments uh, coming. I have to say I always look forward to having my next guest in studio because it normally means there's a new comedy show on the road as we say good morning uh, to uh, Pat Short who joins me live and I need to make sure I have the right buttons pressed. Yeah, good, yeah, mor- you're, good morning. You're doing great Patricia, you're yeah, at it a long time yeah, now, I, you I, should uh, know what you're doing. I know but I, always, I, can, I can sometimes get the buttons wrong. Uh, good morning. It's, 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 good to see it's you. fantastic to see you. Uh, now this is a new show and it's yes. called Knuckle Down uh, and unfortunately <laughs> Faye who no- is normally with you not, not available to no, us this morning no. but when I last had the two in studio it was for the well that's sure. right. Now, yeah, is yeah. this a continuation or is it something completely different? It's something completely different. Uh, we took we took a few months out there to write it, put the show together. And I, I suppose the last show was the first time the two of us were together. So yeah. it was, we were trying out different things. And we got to, like, we spent, I think, the last show nearly a year and a half, two years working together. It's that long. And uh, it's, I suppose you learn. You get to, to I mean, I've known her since she was born. <laughs> That's She's my good. daughter, That's right? That's good to hear. But you, it's a different thing touring with someone. And uh, no, I think it was kind of, we kind of grew up together in that way uh, and, and matured together, working together. So it brings it to another different level. And then Faye is a great woman for pushing herself. And she's doing stand-up in this show as well as character. And so am I doing a little bit of both. So it's a great show. There's a, it's got a bit of everything in it. It's got what I'd be known for, which is characters. I open with a character. Faye does some great characters in it. I do a couple of characters. And then we both break off and do a bit to stand up and talk about each other funny she talks about me I talk about her which is oh, very funny great. so it's good fun yeah and what what it's the writing process how, how do you put that together well yeah, it's very simple you just sit down and try and come up with an idea and a concept and, and just, I always say there's about three or four different stages to it there's the great stage at the start where you're just thinking of ideas at and goes throwing them out having a laugh and then comes the hard part where you have to sit down and write it. Yeah. And you have to try and make it work from a stage point of view. It's all very well having a funny story, but um, that's what we do. Is That's what stagecraft is about, is turning that story into a performance and entering and uh, exiting, all that kind of stuff. Anybody out there that's done amateur drama or drama will understand what I'm talking about. And then you got to then you got to finesse it, tighten it up. Hopefully it's long enough that you have a full show because you're always performing in front of yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah. an empty room. And you're trying to go fast or slow or whatever. 
and you do your timings and you say, God, I hope we have a show, you know. I know yeah. <laughs> and then you, until you get up in front of an audience, you don't know if you do. And do, do you write separately to Faye? Are you around a table together going, there's a great line. What do you think of that line? A bit, a bit of both. I think what happens is we, we sit around a table and then Faye goes off and writes herself. I go away and write. So we, we'll come up with a character for ourselves. We'll go away and write. And she's, she's very much like, because she's trained as an actress and a, and a creator. And she likes to go away and write herself. And, mm. and, and put it together then she'd come back and maybe perform in front of me and I'll give her some notes and vice versa and um, that's tends to how it works uh, we have a very good friend Mike Finn who's uh, people from Limerick and that would know Mike and from uh, further afield I'm sure he, he's written some great stuff he worked with me as a writer on Killing the Scully all the way through okay. and Pigtown it was a, a great play of his in Limerick and, and won awards on the National Theatre Awards many years ago it's been on since a few times and he's been writer in residence in America and a few other places so he, Mike is based in Dublin and he comes down and spends a bit of time with us and, and is the outside eye I mm. suppose for want of a better word you know? but then you've got to get up at some stage and say okay let's see if this is, is a show yeah. Do you do that on your own or do you have somebody sitting there saying to see do you get the laughs? How well, do you practice I, I, that bit? I, I think we, we, like this year, what we tend to do is go away. We tend to do it I don't know. I think when you're when you're doing it long enough, you kind of have an idea. If the, the, the rule of thumb I always make is, if it, if it makes me laugh, it, it is funny. Now the problem there, of course, is once you've done it twenty five times, uh, it's no longer funny, <laughs> <laughs> and you have to be very disciplined not to edit the humour out of it and okay. keep going. And then the big time is when you get in front of an audience, which we did last week down in in Waterville in County uh, County Kerry. Um, we went to the Theatre Tech Amican down there. There are fantastic people in that venue. We. We've done it before where we'd spend the whole week down there rehearsing, doing our light tech, all that, and then perform the show. We did two sold out nights down there and we had a massive, we even played the night of the game. And we, did you? And oh. you'd be surprised. Yeah. The amount of people have no interest in rugby. <laughs> <laughs> we had a full house and a great crack. And uh, you were probably thinking, you're a rugby fan though, are you? I am, yeah, of course. So I am. How, d- how did you get on doing the show and why the match was? Well, I knew, well, you for didn't us, have a phone. I, on no, it. I no, didn't. No. <laughs> well, for us, it was just, look, we're working. So I, I put it yeah. on my head and forget about it. And I was glad, you know, we had a great night. I think the audience were delighted because they came off stage. The result wasn't what anyone thought it would yeah. be. Yeah. So nobody lost out and missed out in anything. You know. And when, when you, because you're traveling around the country and you're doing quite an extensive tour yeah. with Knuckle Down, do you get different laughs? in different areas do some people get some jokes and then other areas they go oh that doesn't really work I don't I don't think it's as simple as that um, there is parts of the country that they like dark humour there's no question you okay. can go up around the border <laughs> Monaghan, <laughs> yeah, and up around there, you know, there, there, there is. I would always say there's a dark. Whether that comes from years of of the troubles or something, I don't know. But they do have a very. They can tend to be darker, and then there's places which are mad. Like you go County Limerick, Brough, Kilmallock, those places yeah. like that. There is a great sense of mad energy around there. It's hard to put a face. John Kenny is probably a way of describing it. <laughs> he, came, he, came, he actually came to mind. He, he would sum up. He that would kind sum of up that type yeah. of madness, manic. Yeah. Uh, although John is is measured in it in the sense that he can yeah. turn it into a craft. But there is that energy that I I find it like maybe it's a rural thing as well. You know. Um, the wonderful people are from my heaven. Yeah, <laughs> those yeah. awful things. Ever, I, 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 I give you an example. Do you know this whole culture being cancelled? You know, yeah. me, which, which hopefully is draining. I mean, you, what the problem with that is, you lose what some people 
would say to you that people, you know, I, there's a friend of mine down there, I'll give you an example of it, and he lives outside for my, and he keeps, he keeps kind of odd animals. He's loads of little wallabies and, oh, it's kind of like a pet yeah. zoo, and he's got loads of monkeys, right? So okay. I, I know, you're looking yeah. at me with strange. Yeah. <laughs> and he does, he keeps, he must be 25. Is that legal? Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it should be, but... <laughs> And he went, he told me one day, he went down to the shopping for me. I won't mention the shop. And he, he was buying loads of nuts, you know, like you'd have for the, for the, the birds outside. So he had bags and bags of nuts. But he lives in very, very rural area up the hills outside Mitchellstown and that. And, um, so he, if he saw a special on a case of wine, he'd buy a case or two of wine. And he, he said he was at the checkout and the guy was going, beep. Beep, beep, <laughs> with all the nuts, beep, beep, and, she, and the wine is coming down the thing, boy, beep, and she says, enjoy me asking you, she says, do you have a lot of monkeys? <laughs> and he says, yeah, and she says, are they alcoholics? <laughs> now, yeah. if you were to say that to someone nowadays, that's a few years back, you'd be, you'd be nearly told you, you know, you shouldn't be saying, know, but sure, it's great crack. You it know, is, it's it is, brilliant. and I have to tell you, you actually, uh, Pat Short, saved my bacon. <laughs> I got asked to take part in a panel discussion at a radio conference. Yes. First time I've ever been asked. It was going to be a carry deal. Yeah. And I was on this panel uh, with the, Pat Kenny was one of the other uh, panellists. And we were asked beforehand that they were going to end up with asking us, you know, a particular radio highlight that yeah. stood out. And most of us on the panel called, I hate those questions. I know, and, and I, I said, know. And I said to them, don't ask me because I really can't think of anything. <laughs> so he went up anyway and we did our 45 minutes and it came to the end and yes. then he was in. And he started with Pat Kenny. And Pat told this amazing story oh. of how in the dead of the night <laughs> he had worst. to go in and record a phone call with a man who was on death row. Oh God. And he said, I had to wait four hours because I was only going to be able to play it out if the man didn't get the pardon yes. and he was killed. So he said, I waited and he said, four hours later, I got the call. You can play the interview. So you know, yeah, yeah. Man, so like everyone in the room was going, oh my God. And the next, the guy hosting it said, and Patricia oh, from C103, no. have you a story to share? And oh, I looked and oh. said, you want me to follow that? Oh. So for some reason, you came into my mind. And, no, and many, many years ago, I had you over the phone doing an interview about some mad thing that, as per usual that you were doing and I was trying to wrap it up because I was going to crash the news and I had an ad break that I needed to take yeah. and I needed to wrap it up and of course trying to wrap you up is very difficult when you're over the phone yes. so for some reason you said something about Monica I don't know whether it was the name of a character but the name Monica came up and you were also going to the States and I said oh I hear Monica's go down well in America and this was after the Bill Clinton thing there was a pregnant pause and you said, I'm glad you said that, not me. And with that, I saw my producer fall off the seat and I realised, have I said something? And with that, I went out. But anyway, anyway, Monica's do go down well. But I got a great laugh and you got me out of, out, out of the radio days. OK, now, you're, more than anything, we need to, and now I'm going to crash news again no, if we go, don't get yeah. into it. OK, knuckle down. You are playing the Glen Theatre next Friday night and I'm told it's sold out. It's sold out, yeah. No, the, 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 the tour's going, we're playing Kilmallock soon, Friarsgate, that's sold out as well. A lot of the venues are over the next while so that the next day we're going to be back in Cork since we're here in County Cork is going to be the Opera House in Cork in the new year the 9th of March yeah it's the, uh, it's the, the year's date but it's a really you're going all over the country yes. with it yeah we're touring all over the country and we hope to be touring abroad next year with it uh, uh, near the latter end of the year but up until the summer we're, we're going to be going abroad uh, I have a new TV show coming out with Mike Cannon all about music as well that'll be in the probably in spring I think it was due to come out before Christmas but the RT schedule is chock a block 
But in the meantime, myself and Fair touring everywhere and uh, having a great time. And are, are they all? Are they all new characters? There's, they're all new characters. There's one old character I've brought back, which I think people will love. It's gone down a storm, but I've brought new material into it to modernise it. Hence the title, Knuckle Down. Okay, I think people will read into that. <laughs> so, you go, so, so you, you might come back to us maybe before the Opera House one on Love the night of March because that's going to be in the new year. Yeah. As always, it's a pleasure, and I should have started, but I'll end with it instead. Uh, sympathies on the passing of your lovely dad. Oh, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, he, yeah, he passed yeah. away, and, and 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 I know he was ninety-two. So he was, but hard great. to say goodbye yeah, at that age. Yeah, 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 it? yeah. It really absolutely. is. Okay, listen, pleasure as always, thank George. You. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us in studio. Court today on C one hundred and three with Corrigan Insurances McCrew. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. It really was a joy to have uh, Pat Kenny in uh, studio. He, he would... Um, Pat Short, sorry, Pat Kenny. <laughs> John Kenny and Pat Short. Pat Short, he would uh, brighten up uh, anyone, particularly on the dismal day that we have outside. Maura was thrilled to hear Pat on the radio because it's Maura's anniversary, or it was Maura's anniversary last week. Congratulations, Maura and her daughter got them tickets to go and see Pat and his daughter Faye with this new show Knuckle Down in the Glen Theatre on uh, Friday night. More says we're like kids waiting for Santa. Will you ever let us know Maura on Monday how it goes because it sounds like an absolute hoot. And by the way, tickets are completely gone for the Glen uh, Theatre and I know they're also in Kilmallock at the Friars Gate following week tickets are gone for that as well the next time here in Cork we get an opportunity to see the show is going to be the Opera House but that's not until March of next year so enjoy it Maura because there's lots of people scrambling uh, for tickets you're lucky that your daughter got in there on time and please send us a message on Monday just to say how it went uh, 0818 103 a lot of people talking about the health service and a lot of people talking about the amount of money that's spent on health and a lot of people are agreeing with Micheál Martin that a deep analysis needs to be done on the amount of money that goes into the HSC you know and to quote Micheál Martin we'll work with the HSC but the HSC have to work with the government and a lot of people querying how the money is actually uh, spent um, Hi Patricia what's happening in the health service here I hope that they're not going to start cutting things or services to Bantry Hospital. When the HSE decide to start making cuts, they have a tendency to look at local hospitals and yet we all know how important they are to rural areas and in fairness Michael Moynihan mentioned Mallow Hospital and Bantry Hospital would be in the same breath as that we know how important they are someone else says Patricia they are saying the HSE don't have people to do the home help work but they have agency workers coming uh, in to the people as well they're saying they don't have the hours yet the money is going to the agencies people can't develop a relationship with the same person if somebody is different the permanent workers aren't getting the uh, hours it seems to be cheaper for the HSE to employ the agency workers because the, the and then don't give them their full rights what are the unions saying about this the one thing I always question about the private home care packages. Uh, we know from the HSE, they pay, I think it's €31 Euro an hour is what they give to a private home care provider. But then out of that €31, Euro, the actual person who goes in to do the home help work only gets €13.85. Euro and 85. and I, I really do think that needs to be looked at. And I know they say there's backroom staff and IT and all that, but it seems like like less than half goes to the person providing 
the actual work. I do think that's something that needs to be looked at. And then I have uh, a really, um, okay, before I get to, yeah, this is a really lengthy text that has come in from Helen, one of our listeners, but it, it is, it's just well worth listening to the points that Helen makes because it's, it's somebody who really seems to know what she's talking about and has her finger on the pulse. She says, it seems to me the Department of Health and the HSC are just punching those in the main who are the old and the ageing with all of the recently announced recruitment freezes, which affectionately, which uh, uh, effectively turn into cutbacks as time goes on. A child in national school can understand this basic line of care explained now again for a millionth time and she puts her points down as one. In 2023 and going forward, the ever-increasing older population who are and will need care are hoping that as much of this care can be done and provided in their own homes if possible. Two, hospitals are critically overcrowded and they're not adequately staffed. People past fit to be discharged can't go home Why? Because a proper care plan within their own home can't be put in place. We have a very ageing nation and we are reaching out. And it's also my firm belief that the care assistant numbers can be easily greatly increased without costing millions upon millions. Three, I am a care assistant and have been for many years. The honour it is to care, albeit an hour every morning, five days a week and another hour in the evening if no family member or friend is available. The knowledge, the wisdom, the shrewdness many of these clients have is absolutely wonderful. People love to chat, maybe not every day, but it's the patient-led care in every aspect possible. Number four, the child in national school can understand the concept I am addressing. The Department of Health and the HSC, the whole engine needs to be oiled and this oiling doesn't cost much in comparison to other health expenses. Care for more at home, that should be our national slogan. The client will be happier. They will have time with family that in reality, because of their age, is limited, but also so special for sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, grandchildren and friends. This is a learning for all within the home. Different generations being respected as should be and memories are priceless. Grandchildren will be intrigued with the stories of their beloved grandparents and many older people at, and more older people at home means less older people being termed that awful word bed blockers. These people want to be at home in their own beds. Many years ago, Home Helps started with a very tiny wage being offered. It was more than no wage. These carers, by and large, no longer are there. Many being in that group looking for care in their own homes now. Today, we have thousands of care assistants. They've got manual handling courses done, updated frequently, many of them with FeeTech Level 5 certs, which are continuously being updated. Wake Up Government and the HSC Primary Care and Private Health Care Providers These care assistants, they're now as professional with all of the training they have, are underpaid. And let's face it, it's well known that the care assistants do this vital care within the home and families do much more. And it really is a win-win situation. The nursing homes are full. There simply aren't enough nursing home beds in this country, especially in certain parts of the country. The sweep of the Cork-Kerry area is poorly looked after. It's just too far away from Dublin out of sight. Care in the community is badly in need of being updated. Remember the huge areas to be covered and we can't use fuel as an excuse because we can do little about the price of fuel but we can work together with a clear plan to improve conditions for so many with common sense changes.
There are changes already started and will increase in our towns and rural areas. I speak, for example, of the marked increases in buses in rural areas, which is great, and better national bus services too. Cafes have popped up since COVID and many have remained open. A little life in the country. Government, HSE, continue with more care at home and more nursing homes are needed, but they need to be run that need to be run fairly. This is not happening at present. We will all get old one day and we all won't have the wherewithal to have care and comfort at the end of our days. Some of these will come and are coming from the squeezed middle. Michal Martin has suggested a delve into the way the budget for the HSE is run. Yes, I agree. This is long, long overdue. Line it up next after the deep delve that's going on into RTE. The health crisis is going on with over 40 years. Isn't that simply 40 years too many? The wealthy can choose to have good health insurance and plan well in case hospitals or nursing home care is needed. But millions, millions of people in this country will never be able to make that first step towards the expensive level of protection. That's such a well put together uh, piece. Thank you for that, uh, Helen. And so much of it is just simply uh, common sense. Thank you for that to 0862103103. People like Helen should be making decisions within the uh, HSE uh, for sure. And then on people coming in defence of Formoy following Zoe, who went on the Graham Norton show and described it as a horrible ta- town. Uh, and Zoe herself is from Scotland, even though she's, she has had lived in Formoy, she said, for about 20 years. Mike is coming kind of in defence of Formoy, but he's putting it back on Zoe and her home country of Scotland. Mike and Bantry said, I went for a holiday in Scotland. I went on my own. It was back in 2001. I was travelling by train from Glasgow to Inverness. I asked an elderly lady about what train I should take at a particular junction in Perth. Her reply was, buy me a packet of biscuits and I'll tell you, the Scots have a name of being very mean, says Mike from Patrick. Oh, God. You wouldn't get that in Ireland. We're great to offer directions. Now, we mightn't be the best at giving the directions. We could look at somebody and say, I wouldn't be starting from here. But we will do our best to help out anyone who's looking. But I certainly have never heard of anybody in Ireland being asked for directions or what train platform should I be on? And will you buy me a packet of biscuits? And if so, I'll tell you which platform to get on. <laughs> Crazy. Thank you for that, uh, Mike. Oh, and we do have an update from Bus Air. Remember yesterday, Stephen and Clannacilty got on to us. His poor old man had a hospital appointment in the city and she was waiting in Clannacilty for the 9.30 bus and the 9.30 bus never showed up. She said she wasn't on a roll. They waited, she waited about 15 minutes. It was a cold day yesterday so she went home and uh, Stephen got on to us to say could we find out what happened. So Bus Air can confirm that it's the, the bus route is the 237. They can confirm this. The, the service experienced a delay yesterday. Now, it's due to an internal rostering error. The service did run, but unfortunately it was behind schedule. They understand that a large number of their customers depend on our services to get to work, to education, shopping and in Stephen's mother's case, hospital appointments. Bus Aaron apologises for any disruption and a review of the error will be carried out so as to ensure it doesn't uh, reoccur. And they do point out, and in fairness, Stephen did say in his comments, it was the first time that this bus didn't show on time. Uh, they do point out, Bus Aaron, that so far for 2023, 99.9% of Route 237 services have operated fully. That's a 
great stat. So the 0.1% was obviously the bus yesterday that uh, showed up, but it showed up later than it should have. Thank you to Bus Aaron for that. John Paul taking your calls 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Marion Hall in Ballinhasic. They're holding a fundraising clothing collection now it's going on this Thursday this Tuesday evening but again on Thursday 7 to half 8 and then Saturdays half 2 to uh, 4 and it runs up to next Thursday it's finishing up next Thursday actually they're accepting rewearable clothing shoes, bags, towels sheets, blankets, curtains and duvet covers no duvets though are pillows please Ducas Clonakilty Heritage are hosting best-selling polar author Michael Smith. It's tonight at half past eight in the GAA Pavilion. Michael will speak on how monster-shaped Antarctic exploration. There'll be references to the incredible adventures of the remarkable men from Munster who discovered and explored the frozen continent of Antarctica. Mallow Field Club are hosting Sister Bernadette speaking on the Mercy Sisters in the Crimean War tonight at 8. That's in the Social Services Hall with admission there, €5. Euro. Shambali Moore have bingo tonight, 8 o'clock in the Community Centre. Jackpot €2,700. And Annam Cara will hold their West Cork meeting in the Fernhill House Hotel in Clonakilty tonight at 7.15. All bereaved parents from the West Cork area are welcome, regardless of the age that your child died, the circumstances of the death. No need to reg- register. You can simply turn up at the, the wonderful Fernhill House Hotel tonight from 7.15. More information available from Annam Cara on their website, annamcara.ie or 85 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And here's a text in from a listener saying, I was listening with great interest to your conversation with Deputy Michael Moynihan, Chair of the Disability Matters uh, Committee. As it happens, I'm caring for my 40-year-old son who has severe and complex mental and physical needs and he's had those needs since birth. He's the eldest of six. He needs 24-hour seven care and he's completely incontinent. From the 5th of October, my carer's allowance was stopped. Has any other listener had a similar experience? Uh, Thanking you. Now, the carer's allowance is means tested. Uh, So unless has something changed within your means, that's that... And the fact that you say it simply stopped. Did it stop without notice? I would certainly be appealing that. Now, unless there's been a big jump in income into the house, I can't see how a carer's allowance would suddenly stop, particularly for the level of care that you're offering uh, to your son. I wouldn't be taking that lying down. You certainly need to look into that, get on to the department and and have a review jo- done or find out why your carer's allowance uh, has stopped. Did that Has that happened to anybody else? If anybody else uh, can let us know, is there is there an issue with the carer's allowance? Why would it suddenly uh, stop? 0818 uh, 103 103. Now I want to go back to the lovely town of Fermoy. And we have people coming in defence of Formoy. Joan is in Formoy. Uh, good, mor- good afternoon, Joan. Good afternoon, Tricia. Now, is it the lovely town of Formoy or is it like Zoe the horrible, horrible no, town? No, there's 
morning was the first time I heard about all this because I haven't been tuned in lately. I absolutely adore Formoy. I'm coming up to 50 years here. And beforehand, I was kind of dubious being from Mitchellstown. You know some people. Oh, how are you going to Formoy? From the first day, I just gelled. I love Formoy. I love the people. On occasions, I don't drive, but I would get my husband to drive out Rathealy Road up the pike just for the pleasure of coming down Oliver Plunkett Hill, looking in, telling him go slow, looking in to admire the park, the black water, and at Christmas time when the clock would be decorated, I just think it's fantastic. I seem to have gelled with all the people. I enjoyed the town. Now some parts aren't as great for lack of refurbishment and that. But to me, it is home more than Mitchellstown. Because in Mitchellstown, people have passed away and going over now, except for family. It doesn't, it holds the memories of the college and around the pump and all those childhood places. But I would hardly know anybody in Mitchellstown now. Whereas, when, so, when somebody says, where's home, home is for Moy. Home is where your family are and where you like the people. You like, you just get good vibes. And you raised a family in Formoy? Yes, three boys. And are, now, they, are they all still living there or are they left? No, uh, one of them is, one is Cork City, one in Glenmire. And um, now the lad that's here is fine, but he would like his own house, but things have fallen through and he would like to go to Kilworth. Seems to be his choice, which hopefully will happen soon. But as regards myself, possibly more than my husband, I would say, but I just love for my. Well done. Well done. I'm well, well not said. a green well walker, said. but on time, even walking in the road here, Dunteheen Road, I would, that's some years back now, I would just enjoy looking at houses. I love the church, despite the fact that it's in very bad repair. I just love the architecture and the frontages of some shops. There's really nothing negative, I could say. Well said, well said. And and summed up by the people you've met. It's the people that make I a town as well. I love the people. I love the natives, which are shrinking rapidly, I suppose. But um, I would have, I still would know some families that were born and bred in Formoy. I feel I'm actually like one of those. <laughs> I love it so much. Good, good. Okay, okay. And you so know, and I, as I mentioned earlier, I think the the essence of the goodness of the people for Moy shone brightly with the numbers that turned up for Tina's Satchel's yeah, video last I night. I think people are very caring, and there are a lot of clubs here, and uh, a lot of voluntary organisations. And any time anybody would reach out for help there would be help coming and I just can't see a negative really in it. Okay, thanks for that, Joan. If you don't mind, Tricia, I do think that the HSE, it could do with being disbanded because I think the four health boards were run 
superior. It's far too big. The money isn't going to the right places. And I think the health board is a total disaster, especially for those that need it most. Yeah, we were meant to get improved services by getting rid of the health boards and putting oh, in the I HSE. Wish the HSE was gone because people that need help aren't getting it. And many years ago, I had a, a friend of a friend. She was well able to drive. She got two hours twice a week. And when she got the two hours, she sat into her car, went to town and met her friends for coffee. Can you think that was justified? I don't. Yeah, OK. So I leave you on that yeah. All right, Joan, thank you for that. Thanks and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. And by the way, just on um, the various different bonuses and payments, you know, that were announced in the budget, seeing as uh, we're talking about uh, budgets with regard to the HSE, there is a bit of good news for people who are getting social welfare payments in that a number of bonus payments for the cost of living uh, was announced in the budget and they've finally given out uh, the dates. They're going to begin paying them out on the week beginning November the 20th. The first lump sum payments will be paid to those in receipt of the working family uh, payment. They're getting an extra €400 on the week of November 20th. On the same week, people in receipt of disability support grant, they're getting an extra €400. The €300 fuel allowance extra lump sum payment, that will also be paid out that week, the week of November uh, 20th. People in receipt of the carer support grant, they'll have to wait until the following week, November the 27th. They're getting an extra €400 bonus uh, payment. And then mainly older people, the living alone allowance, they also will have to wait for the last week in November for the extra €200 that was promised in the budget. That last week, the 27th of November, will also see €100 bonus paid to those in receipt of the qualified child benefit. And on the week beginning December 4th, everyone in receipt of a welfare payment will receive the double Christmas uh, bonus. About 1.3 million people will benefit for that. The double child benefit uh, payment, that will also be paid in the first week in uh, December. And then a second double payment for all the welfare payments that we were promised for next year, uh, they that will be paid out at the end of January. It's the week of January the 29th. And we also have confirmation that the 12 extra euro a week that was given in the budget for social welfare, that will kick in from the beginning of January. So those dates are out. So they start to kick in from November the 20th, then the following week, and then the Christmas bonus payment will be the week after uh, that. And then the end of January for the cost of living bonus payment in the new year. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just one uh, lovely text in from Sheila say, Hi Trisha, I'm, I'm originally from the UK. I moved to Kilworth 32 years ago. I never felt so welcome in my entire life. And I've, oh, I've been in the Fomoy and the surrounding areas since. Love the place so much that I haven't even had a holiday in the UK in 20 years, even though all my family are over there. I feel now this is my home and I love it. A good thing that that Zoe woman went back to Scotland. She gives us grateful blow-ins, a bad name, says <laughs> Sheila. Uh, thank you for that, Sheila. OK, Joe Heffernan. Uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, we... And I'm I'm very glad to hear a bit of good press for my home in Fromoy. Oh, you're from oil lad as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The walk up Barnan and up by the River Blackwater and the, the square and the setup of the town. 
beautiful town. Yeah, I love to see, and I, I've, I followed you closely on social media yesterday. It was lovely to see people from from all over the world, natives of Formoy, jumping in in defence. We're all we 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 hate anybody knocking our hometown. I don't, I don't yeah. know what it is. We really do. It's it's yeah. even if we haven't lived there for many many years, people Which jump in defence. Yeah. yeah, but it's lovely to see. Years, it's lovely to see people. You know, both Joan, who joined me a couple of minutes ago, and there's Sheila, uh, who who were not natives, but now feel they're natives. They're there so long, and they, yeah. and they love it. So it's good. And the CD that we made for the air ambulance, you know. Exactly, the first yeah. song on it is my home and from my sang by my good self. It is indeed. It is indeed. Yeah. Okay. Today, now we have been talking in recent weeks about cannabis, or about cocaine and cocaine use and the increase of cocaine, unfortunately. Um, and then we see in the papers again today, fentanyl. Uh, everyone is so worried about fentanyl yeah. getting yeah. a grip, and it looks like it is. It is coming our way. But you well, want to, ki- in some ways, take it back to basics. You want to talk about cannabis use, and there's almost yeah. this notion. That that I sure cannabis is harmless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, weed, pot, marijuana, cannabis, the different names. But um, in my own experience and the experience of a young lady that I'll read out her experience now in a second or two, um, it's not as innocent as it might be portrayed. Now, the thing is... um, there are, I mean, I wouldn't be, I, I'd be all in favor of medicinal cannabis and where, where it can help people. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I'm talking about stuff that's bought on the street and that a person doesn't know the strength of it or what's in it, really. So that's the dodgy one. And, um, and, and quite a lot of people have got into trouble um, with it. Um, uh and I mean, in, in, what, in what way can it affect people? Now, it won't affect everybody this way, but it can affect some people in a very serious way. Well, it reduces memory. Um, it impairs one's thinking, um, at least temporarily. Um, uh, and and uh, it can, you see, it can lead to, well, fatigue, difficulties in learning. It um I, I, I did student counselling in UCC for seven odd years. And, um, you know, the, the odd person came in to me and said that they were uh, failing badly in their uh, in their college work and that they had it down to um, smoking weed and, um, on a fairly regular basis and what could they do? So, like, I cleverly suggested, well, stop smoking. It would be a good place. To start, yeah. But um, you see, um, over forty percent of Irish youths in a recent uh, this is school children in a recent survey, over forty percent of Irish kids experimented once or twice, and twelve percent of teenage cannabis um, users in Ireland admitted taking the drug more than forty times in a year. Um, so and. Um, uh, the most dramatic and drastic, and I, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story again in the minute apart from uh, this lady here um, who has been good enough to share, Natasha. Um, uh, I, 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 I was talking with a young man who had a terrible experience with cannabis. But will I read out what Natasha Yeah, please do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, at 15, she says... Um, I use cannabis, and at 18, 
she had a nervous, um, a psychotic breakdown. Now 21, she wonders if that drug use um, contributed to the, the, her problems. Um, back in my early teens, I didn't know cannabis could have um, any long-term effects on my mental health. I tried it at 15 and thought it was um, quite a, a mild drug, which would be the accepted thing out there, I suppose. Um, uh, uh, its effects um, uh, can have detrimental effects. Um, uh, no, um, I, I used it at 15, and uh, yeah, um, back in my early teens, I, I didn't know cannabis could have any long-term effects. Now, what happened was, um, uh, between 15 and 16, uh, I probably smoked at, uh, about once a week. And uh, a Saturday night, um, a frightening thing happened. Uh, she was at um, a friend's birthday party, and um, she says, I realized um, uh, a lot. I smoked a lot. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I'm I, dealing I, I, with very small yeah, print. I'll, I'll pick it up. She said, I smoked a lot. I suddenly realised I was hallucinating, believing I was sinking into the floor. It was really scary. And I decided there and then to stop smoking uh, dope. If I had my time over again, she said, I wouldn't touch it. Every time I see a report on the news about cannabis causing psychosis or damaging teenage brains, I wish I had known that at the time. And there exactly. is there is evidence very clear evidence there that, again, it's not going to be in all cases, but it can lead to psychotic episodes like the type she describes. But because I was dealing people... with a young man some years ago, Patricia, and um, he was smoking dope. Lovely young man, a musician. And um, he bought uh, cannabis, um, uh, I, 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 let's say, in the city. And um, he had a horrific um, psychotic episode. He, he, now, this was one of the gentlest, nicest young men you could possibly meet. But he broke up the house. He smashed um, some things that were of great um, you know, value to his mum and dad. Um, and uh, he, he was completely out of it. And um, he finished up in uh, GF in CUH, which is the psychiatric division. Now, the thing, he told me, it was a word I wasn't very familiar with, but he told me that what he had been smoking, it turned out, was what's known as skunk. Yeah, one of the strongest. Mm -hmm. It's one of the strongest. One of the strongest, and as I was saying there in another bit of um, uh, bit of material I would have given you, that nobody knows its strength and nobody knows what's in it. Um, and and so what about you know, when people say, you know, off, you know, there's nothing really wrong with it, with, with a bit of pot. Can you get hooked on it? Well, it wouldn't have a high, high, high um, percentage of, um, uh, of, uh, of addiction. Now, that's not to say it hasn't any. It, it does have. But one in ten people who use marijuana will become addicted. Um, I, I, the, the other term used is like um, cannabis use disorder. And um, uh, th- th- this meant that you can't um, stop using it. And, uh, and th- that's uh, about as good a, um, 
a definition of addiction uh, as you can get. Um, uh, you have a 10% um, risk of cannabis uh, dis- uh, addiction um, if you use it on a on a fairly r- regular basis. Yeah, and it's interesting to note that it, it you know the evidence points that the younger a person starts to use cannabis, the more likely they are to end up with problems. And that ties in with the piece that you read in the Sunday Indo, I think it was last week, yeah. you know, showing the amount of young people from this EU study, but the amount of young Irish people who admitted like one in six Irish pupils aged 15 and 16 saying they smoke cannabis in the last 12 months. That's a very young age to start. Yeah. If they and get and into the, odds, the odds of addiction, Patricia, um, um, uh, increase to one in six um, if you use pot in your teens. And it might be as high as one in two among those who use it every day. So all the other drugs recently, the you know, the mention of the fentanyl, the, the highlighting of the cocaine, which is gigantic and deserves to be highlighted, but... Um, Cannabis has kind of dropped down the um, areas of concern and it might kind of lead um, some young people to think, I sure, um, um, a bit of weed never hurt anyone, but it does. And it can hurt them very, very seriously. And for and families to look out for it, I mean, it's got a very distinctive smell. Yes. Absolutely. For parents to look out for it in, in, in their, and talk to your young people about it. Because, of course, the other big danger that is, you know, is widely recognised with people who regularly smoke pot, it can be a gateway drug because then people get so relaxed on it. Oh, sure, I'll try something else. That wasn't too bad. And it can, exactly. lead, on, it can lead on then to the harder, yep. harder core drugs. And that is a fact. Now, some people argue that it's not a gateway drug, but of course it is. Because if someone is in the mood for getting the buzz from a substance, well, they're much more likely to try something stronger, again, uh, than someone who hasn't uh, smoked uh, cannabis at all. And um, the, 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 the kind of definitions of what we'll call cannabis use disorder or addiction um, would be that a person can crave a smoke of it, um, uh, they, they, they can try to quit cannabis, but they find that they fail. Um, they can spend a lot of their time um, using cannabis, um, uh, use more marijuana than you had planned to use, um, miss out on time with family or friends to use pot, uh, still use uh, marijuana even though it causes you physical or mental problems. Use pot while you um, drive um, or, or, or during other high-risk activities. We've seen an increase recently. It was the thing we used to hear about. We used to hear about drunk driving. That used to be very high. Recently, we're hearing quite a lot about drug driving. And now the Gardaí have instruments that can detect um, drug driving. Um, and a person can need more weed to get the same high. Well, that kind of goes with uh, all of those addictions. And um, uh, the one I came across uh, in college that I mentioned, um, having issued w- issues with learning, with attention, 
our memory. Yeah, so it can have a huge effect. All right, just for people to be aware of it, it yeah. isn't, it isn't the, the soft drug. Uh, it can cause problems. All right, Joe, listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you again next Tuesday. And the same, Patricia. Thank you for that. And I intend to get the print on my stuff a little bit bigger. Okay, um, <laughs> you're okay. At my age now, um, <laughs> even the glasses don't help the times. <laughs> <laughs> Look after yourself. Have a great week. Okay. We'll talk next Tuesday. That's Joe Heffernan. He runs a cancer practice in Boerbui. His number is 086-834-8145. That's where I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Stay dry, stay indoors, and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. On to thine, Patricia Messenger. Very good Court afternoon. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.